Right. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's been a little while since I've posted on this um, here podcast, but um, I feel like I'm in a decent place right now where things are kind of heading somewhere, wherever that may be. I think it's a good time to be uh, posting. Please excuse the sound of my air conditioning unit behind me, but it's the only thing keeping me sane and alive in the heat of this summer. It's been about 110, 115 degrees. Let me check real quick. But today it claims that it reached 91 degrees. I have a feeling it was higher than that. Saturday is supposed to be 102 degrees, but and that makes a lot more sense to me. So there is an excessive heat warning in place, and um, they can see that. It's going to be difficult being outdoors for a little while. Well, anyway, um, I suppose I'll update on how I'm doing in life and everything. Uh, I started a new job earlier this week, and uh, it's my first time working in any sort of, uh, I suppose, customer service is the phrase for it. But yeah, so it's, it's kind of fun. I've been working at the drive throughs and I've been working at the front desk. And it's been really fun. It's been really a challenge and kind of new. Uh, it's strange being able to just kind of be a little playful and be a little bit positive with people. Because that's usually what goes on in my mind. But I guess I'm used to everybody thinking that's a little fake. But it's kind of natural to me. And uh, my prospects are looking all right. There is another job that I have uh, lined up as of right now. I think it'll be really fun. I don't know if I should talk about it, but it's not a big deal. It's just a big deal to me is all. But it's really fun, and it's really cool, and uh, I'm making some moves. I've been working a little bit on some personal projects. This is one of them that I'm hoping to get back into. And, uh, yeah, so for right now, I thought it would be fun to... uh, I've been getting back into psychology, especially uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, it's been something that I haven't looked into in a little while. But cognitive behavioral therapy has always been fun for me, especially because it helped me out a lot. And it has helped me out a lot in life during some difficult times. Um, The principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm going to butcher them really badly. So don't take my word for any of this. But the way I would summarize them is the idea that Your thoughts lead to your actions, and your actions become your behavior. I believe that's the best way to paraphrase that. But um, in the spirit of all of that, I've been reading some articles from Psychology Today. Uh, You can visit them on the website, psychologytoday.com. Slash US is specifically the one I'm on, actually. But uh, I thought it would be fun to go through some of these. Uh, None of this is sponsored. I am not big or famous enough to be sponsored by anybody. But I think it's fun, and I think it's really useful to be discussing, um, how should I say, well, psychology topics, you know, self-worth and self-value. So I clicked on this sub-article, subheading, titled, Are You a People Pleaser? Um, I wonder if you guys can guess and figure out why I would click on that. Well, it's because sometimes I myself am somewhat of a people pleaser, and I think all of us are at given points in our life. And sometimes it takes control of us more than it should. 
but uh, let's see what these articles have to say about it, yeah? I think it'll be fun. All right, so the first article I'm going to read, there's four of them that appear under this subheading. And if you guys want to follow along with me in any way, this is on the Psychology Today website. Uh, let me re refresh the page to make sure that it's still the same. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the headline article as of this moment. The headline one's actually why imperfection is attractive. But the one I was looking at before was titled, Are You a People Pleaser? So I'm not sure how to find that. But if anybody's interested, I suppose I can post the link to it. I probably will post it actually in the description. That would be really helpful because it contains all of these articles that I'm about to read or maybe skim over. We'll see. So um, the main summary of this category is, are you a people pleaser? Some people are so focused on pleasing others that they sacrifice their own needs, but there is no need to seek approval, validation, and worth from others. Here's how to stop being the doormat. So here we go. The first article is called Stop Looking for Approval. Put your people-pleasing ways behind you. So we're just going to read this. Um, I'm going to try to not have my thoughts on it until the very end. It's not that long of an article, to be honest, but it might sound longer in a recorded format. So here we go. It says, an important message for people pleasers and approval seekers. Put your people pleasing ways behind you. This was posted by Eileen Strauss Cohen, PhD, and reviewed by Libby Ma. So it begins with a quote from an unknown source that says, I was always going to let someone down, so I decided it wouldn't be me anymore. End quote. Always looking to others for how you feel inside yourself, focusing your life around everyone else but yourself, believing that caring about yourself is wrong, not feeling worthy unless others validate you, feeling miserable inside when rejected by others, taking the blame for what others do to themselves, Muting your inner voice in fear that it will disrupt others. Avoiding confrontation at all costs. Wondering if you were born with a backbone, or if you'll ever be able to have your own life. Questioning whether having relationships is worth the feeling of being drained and pulled into doing things you don't want to do. Having no idea what boundaries are or how to apply them. Feeling lost, alone, and burnt out. Seeking approval, validation, and worth from the inside. Knowing you'll never be enough. Waiting for everyone else to change. Not realizing that the power for change relies within only you. Does any of this sound familiar? If it does, you might be feeling trapped, overwhelmed, and unfulfilled in your relationships. And if you're living your life to please others or seek their approval, you're most definitely right to feel that way. I have a message for you. One that I hope can help you make meaningful changes in your life. You have value, worth, and every right to your own opinions, feelings, and ideas. You're not here to be an emotional dumpster for other people, and your purpose in life isn't to make other people feel better about themselves. You aren't responsible for anyone else's life, only your own or your young children's if you have them. I'm sorry if someone raised you to believe that you're only valuable if you can soothe them, if you don't upset them, if you're perfect. If you only agree with them and do what they say, that's about them and their own discomfort and immaturity. It isn't your fault. If 
you can find a way to pull yourself out of the control of others, you'll finally be free to be your own person. When you're ready to do this, know that you aren't wrong to have your own voice. It's okay to upset others if all you're doing is being yourself. You aren't selfish for saying no, doing things you enjoy instead of doing things for others, and taking time for yourself. If you feel drained, burned out, and overwhelmed, that's a sign that you're doing too much. I understand what you're going through. I grew up putting others' needs before my own. I was taught that doing things for other people and making them feel better was the only way to get attention and approval. As long as I was a perfect angel, I could receive love. And this is really the only thing that children want, to feel loved and know that they belong. It's only natural for us to do what we can to feel loved and accepted. As children, it's almost impossible to grow into our true selves when we live in fear of other people's reactions, especially if those people are parents or significant people in our lives. I spent a lot of my life waiting for other people to change. But as I got older, I came to understand that the only person I can change is myself. Realizing this made me terrified, but I knew what was at stake if I didn't find my own voice. Just as you might, I had many fears. I was scared of how others would react to me, fearful of rejection and abandonment, terrified of conflict, fearful of criticism, scared of being disliked, horrified that if no one needed me, I wouldn't be worthy. Instead of looking for validation from others, it's important to find a way to find it within ourselves. To get rid of our fears, we have to face them, no matter how anxious that makes us feel. Understanding that our fears aren't based on facts or reality can help us. Our anxiety, after all, is just a signal warning us of a threat, and any perceived threat to our purpose, value, or sense of meaning can bring about just as much anxiety as an actual threat to our survival. Because our people-pleasing and fears usually derive from childhood, it's important to look back to move forward. In my childhood years, it was unsafe for me to ruffle any feathers or act in ways that might upset the people around me. As I got older, I realized that my anxiety around speaking up, being criticized, or being reacted to negatively had no bearing on the truth of my life. When I realized that I didn't have to be fearful, there was no longer any real threat. When I stopped basing my response to others on my past fears, I finally stopped hiding behind people-pleasing behaviors. You can put your people-pleasing ways behind you. You can take care of yourself first, because in reality, that's the only real way you can truly live a life that serves as an expression of who you are. That right there is the end of the um, the article. It's a short article, but it's a meaningful one. And uh, again, that was written by Eileen S. Cohen, PhD. And uh, I'll talk about my thoughts on the article. Um, a lot of this is very relatable. And a lot of this is, uh, honestly, a lot of this is even the reason why I'm doing this whole little podcast experiment of mine. Um, a lot of my life has been, in one way or another, about pleasing other people and making sure that their needs are fulfilled and satisfied. And, well, sometimes, well, I mean, a lot of the times I often put my own requirements as secondary or tertiary. And uh, I've actually gotten into some pretty bad situations just because... Well, you know, you want approval and you want to feel like you're helping somebody. And honestly, never put yourself in that situation if you can avoid it. Because I guarantee you that you may think you're doing something nice for somebody. But honestly, if you're hurting yourself to do it, it's not really worth it. 
I think the only exception I would give is like your kids. If you put your kids before you, that's probably the only exception I would give to that. But um, yeah, I think a lot of what she says in this article of hers is very true that you have to at some point understand that everything is terrifying and every everybody's going to reject you in some way, in one way or another. And a lot of the times, well, at least for me, a lot of my fear is that the world's going to judge me for doing something that I find fun. And I mean, being judged isn't fun in any way. It really sucks. But I think it's scarier to think that, well, what if I do the, this thing that I really love? What if I play music or become a singer or become a rock star or a guitarist or what if I write my own books? What if I try to make my own movies? What if I work on video games? And, you know, the list goes on, but what if what if the world laughs at me? I mean, the thing is, the world is going to laugh at you. There will always be people that will laugh at you, that will mock you, but you still have to, you should follow your own creative heart and your own creative decisions because it's all cringe in the end as a good friend of mine told me and honestly that phrase has been very liberating everything's cringe (laughs) for the longest time i was so worried about things being cringy and being scary like even recording my voice here right now like i am isn't something i would normally do i'd be afraid of being judged and you know, I'm quite frankly being pretty pathetic about it. And even now, I won't deny it. I mean, I'm still scared of it, but you just do it, and then you post it, and then you move on with your life. And, you know, hopefully, best case scenario, everything turns out all right. Worst case scenario, nothing happens. You know? I mean, worst case scenario, you get criticized, or you get judged, or people make fun of you, or etc., etc., but... If people talk about you in ways that are to tear you down, that's not feedback and that's not a friend. That's not people you should be listening to. You should be listening to the people that give you real feedback or the people who, even if they can't provide the feedback, are willing to, you know, build you up, help you, uh, increase your self-worth and your self-value. Um, Let me see if I'm going to read the next article or not, depending on how long it is, because that one was a little longer than I expected, and I've been going on for, say, 15 minutes now. Uh, Trust me, I'm loving this whole talking session conversation I've been doing, but I can't do this forever. My uh, emotional drain is going to, you know, drain any minute now. All right, this, this one doesn't seem that long, and I haven't read this one. The previous one I had read one time. This one seems shorter. Now, this one's written by Annie. I'm going to butcher the last name. I'm sorry. Annie Tanasugarn. Annie Tanasugarn. Tanasugarn. PhD. How people-pleasing behavior affects self-worth. Recognizing the connection between a need to please and unstable safe, uh, self-identity. The connection between a need to please and unstable self-identity. All right, that seems interesting, considering that um, I'm going to talk a little bit before I read it. But one of the bigger downsides that I've seen myself or experienced myself from the whole people-pleasing behavior is that you tend to mirror people that you 
are surrounded by or that you love and that you care for or people that you look up to. And that can be a really good thing if it's helping you become more confident in things. But it's a really bad thing when you lose who you are. You don't remember what parts of you are actually yours and what parts of you are you just mirroring that other person. I think one of the phrases I saw recently, I can't remember where it's from, but the whole idea, oh, it was, uh, I think it was like a TikTok video with uh, this person who was making, they did like a song. I I can't remember a lot of it. If I find it, I'll make sure to mention it. But the line that stuck out from all of it, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people might have seen on TikTok actually, is, um, how does it go? You love my personality. Well, thank you. It's yours. Thank you for your personality. You know, like, thank you for loving my personality. It's yours. Because a lot of people just, they think they love us because they think they know us. But all they know is what we choose to show them. And what we choose, what we choose to show them is this mirrored, mirror of themselves. You just, Oftentimes, we, hold on, I'm losing my words right now. Oftentimes, we enjoy the company of our friends so much that we start replicating their behavior. And then they suddenly realize that they really love spending time with us. And they don't seem to realize that the reason why is because you are acting just like them. So... They just feel like everything you do is in agreement with them. And honestly, that's not the end goal when we mirror people. Our end goals, our end goal comes from a place of wanting to be accepted, from wanting to be loved, but it ends up losing us. Anyway, let's go on with this. So the key points of this article are adults with a history of people-pleasing behavior are more vulnerable to being manipulated in narcissistic relationships. All right. Constant people-pleasing behavior negatively affects many areas of a person's life. Many who identify as being stuck in a pattern of seeking external validation also struggle with depression and fears of abandonment. So, the article begins, A need for external validation, you know, people-pleasing, tends to be learned early in our lives, often when unrealistic expectations and a need to be perfect outweighed any authenticity or emotional connection. Growing up in this type of environment, conditions a child to become hyper-observant in learning micro-behaviors. In assessing for the slightest differences in expression or nuances in their parents' approval or disapproval, these micro-behaviors become the gauge for how people-pleasing is learned. So it's a little hard for me to read this stuff because it's something I've definitely, I definitely understand. Thankfully, I've had periods of my life where sometimes I lose myself and other times I find myself over and over again so you know i haven't had the worst uh, experience with this so but definitely there's moments where you just don't feel authentic thankfully a lot of my life has cycled as i've said behind the scenes what is being taught is a toxic combination of intermittent positive and negative reinforcement the child learns that they receive praise for making others happy So the bar is raised and continuing to please others. On the flip side, if they are seen as imperfect and scolded or shown indifference, 
the child tries harder to please, which can negatively reinforce this type of traumatic bond of people-pleasing. As children, we turn to our caregivers to validate our sense of direction and self-advocacy. This is how children learn to navigate the world and eventually build a, a solid self-identity. Yet when a child's reality is denied or dismissed, it can result in that child growing up feeling unsure of who they are, unable to advocate for themselves and completely dependent on others for a sense of validation. Invalidating or abusive environments in our childhood can be internalized as negative self-beliefs that wind up limiting our ability to trust in ourselves. The result is that we develop a mindset that to be perfect, we need to turn to others for approval and validation. I'm going to take a moment to speak here again. And um, I want to mention that this part definitely feels like something I've experienced, like something that I think a lot of us have experienced, maybe maybe an entire generation, maybe, you know, people in general. I like to believe people in general feel like this sometimes. But um, there's definitely been times in my own life where I've been obsessed with perfection in different tasks, which is really ridiculous if you think about it. You know, we're never going to be perfect. There's always going to be things that are wrong, quote unquote, even though, you know, there's nothing ever really wrong with us. We're all just learning and growing and life is dynamic, if, it, if that makes sense as a phrase. By that, I mean, we're constantly changing. We're never going to be a solid, you know, construct of a person. We're always changing. We're always growing and we're always wrong. But that's also what makes us amazing you know because if we were perfect there's nowhere to grow there's nowhere to go to and honestly what is perfect you know to, to some people perfect can be like one extreme of the spectrum while to somebody else it's the exact opposite extreme anyway um what i was getting at was that in my life i've had periods where i obsessed with you know being perfect at this thing being amazing at like you know, C++ at times, or being amazing at storytelling something, or being amazing at just speaking perfectly, speaking clearly. I still have that where I feel a lot of the times like I speak, um, I don't know how to describe it, but a little bit like, like my lips, my uh, cheeks are swollen or full. I don't know if that makes sense, but sometimes I feel like my voice isn't clear is what I'm getting at. So, I'm hoping that's better, but a lot of the times with these uh, mindsets of wanting to be perfect at this or perfect at that, we end up, or at least I have ended up, um, looking to others for approval, whether that be my parents or my sibling or my friends or my romantic partners. Um, and honestly, that's horrible. Because what ends up happening is these people want to get to know you. These people want to get to love you as a person. And what are you giving them? You're giving them, well, you're giving them a mirror of themselves. You're trying to just replicate them and be like, oh, my God, you love spending time with me, right? But they don't get to love you. They get to love what they think you are. I apologize, I had to take a little bit of a moment there. But what I'm getting is that, uh, is that it's a horrible thing to be 
looking to others to see, did I do a good job of this? Did I do a good job of that? Right now, I mean, I'm going through a little bit of a process of that at my new job because, well, I'm learning the ropes. And I think that when you're learning something new, that's entirely acceptable. You should be making sure that you're doing things the right way and making sure that you're doing things the best way that you possibly can. But it's completely different when it's just things to do with, you know, existence. Like, oh, did I smile the right way? Did I laugh the right way? Are my clothes, you know, to your liking? Um, what do you think of how I name my pets? What do you think of my color choices when it comes to my room? What do you think of my house? What do you think of my car? What do you think of the people I hang out with? What do you think of my choices in my career? What do you think of my anything? And I do that a lot. I look to my friends and whatever they tell me is best I tend to go with. One of my current things personally is uh, my hair. A lot of the times I'm completely insecure about what I want to do with my hair. And that's, that's insane because like, I mean, currently I have long hair. It goes down to, let me, let me unravel it to see how long it goes. I have thick curly hair, but you know, it's not like a mess of curls or anything, but it's like wavy. But, you know, if I stretch it down, it goes down to like maybe a little bit below my shoulders. Somewhat past my shoulders. <clears throat> and it's just like this thick kind of like mane of hair, shall I say. And I have like a beard, you know. And I'm honestly, a lot of the times I'm not even sure if I like this. I mean, personally, I do enjoy it. I've always wanted to have long hair and I'm glad I got to do this. But sometimes I just want to like, you know, cut my hair and start over. Because that's always been fun for me, to experiment with something and then start over and do it differently. But then there comes the, the scenario of, see if I cut my hair, what do I want for a hairstyle? And honestly, I have no idea. I prefer some like medium length hair. So I don't think I would get it, you know, short how I used to. Because if you see pictures of me from like a couple years back, uh, actually pre-pandemic, pre-COVID-19, so like, you know, early 2020 my hair is pretty short for my standards i mean like it was literally just kind of a little mini fro of hair that occurred at the top of my head so it made my head look like two spheres basically but and then you know clean shaven i would always be clean shaven i mean i, I let some stubble happen here or there but i didn't like a beard and honestly i've never really liked beards that much I mean, I keep a beard at the moment, but that's largely because, and even that's a people-pleasing behavior, it's because a lot of people think I look good with a beard. And I mean, I agree. I think a lot of guys overall, I think we look good with a beard, but it's not something I necessarily need. Like, I can shave, like, right now, and it doesn't affect my image of what I think of myself. I mean, maybe I'll look a little weird to myself. I'll look kind of baby-faced for a while, but, you know, it'll grow back legit in, like, two weeks three weeks if I want it to be a fuller beard. And this isn't even a thick beard. I always keep it kind of trimmed. But with my hair, that's uh, that's something to consider, considering it's going to take a while to regrow back. And, you know, I, I do ask my friends all the time whether like, oh, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get a haircut and make my hair shorter. And honestly, depending on who I'm talking to, some of my friends are like, oh, oh, yeah, definitely. That, that would that'd be so cool. Get a haircut try this hairstyle, try that hairstyle. And uh, some of my other friends are like, no, what are you doing? You're going to lose all of your hair. 
and lose that beautiful mane of hair that took you forever to grow. And honestly, the biggest downside is that it's really freaking hot right now. It's been like the hottest summer ever. So I can't even have it down as much as I would like, you know? And uh, this actually hair growth started because of the pandemic, just because I was going to be locked indoors. And I was like, you know what? I might as well go on ahead and, you know, live my dream, grow out my hair. Who's going to judge me right now? And yes, I was still concerned, but who's going to judge me right now? But my idea at the time was I had bought, I had missed uh, My Chemical Romance Return concert, but I had managed to, you know, get some tickets for uh, one of their shows that was supposed to occur in 2020, I believe, October of 2020. But, uh, you know, the pandemic happened and those concerts got canceled. But my idea was that I was going to grow my, grow my hair so I could go to the My Chemical Romance concert with long hair and just, you know, rock out, have fun enjoy myself, be the emo that I never got a chance to be in high school. I was like an inner emo, if it makes sense. But now, now that MCR concert's still happening, we got delayed a couple of years, but I'm finally going to it actually in October. So we're in September right now. So literally next month. And I'm excited as hell. And uh, I'm definitely still going to have my long hair for that. I mean, that was the whole goal in the first place. Um, but after that, I don't know if I want to still have long hair, if I want to go for a more quote unquote professional look, you know, because I do want to, I do want to grow my career in computer science. Um, honestly, I'd have to, I'd love to have any route that has to do with, um, assistive technology for people with disabilities. And I'd love to go in a direction that can, uh, somehow apply that to the video game industry. Hello again. I have no idea how much of that got cut out, but uh, I can see that now. This website is telling me that I can record for up to 30 minutes, so I must have passed the 30-minute threshold. But I didn't miss that much because it, was, it, it literally changed as I looked at it. So uh, just, yeah, well, what I was saying was just that this podcast is largely just an experiment for me to have fun, you know, maybe express myself, talk to somebody, and... Um, just kind of explore things and explore my thoughts on topics. We're going to finish this article though, because I haven't, uh, because I haven't given it the chance that it needed to end. So here we go. Where was I at? What happens when people pleasing children grow up? Adults with a history of people pleasing behavior tend to be more vulnerable to being manipulated in abusive or narcissistic relationships. Many have wrongly learned that to feel valid and worthy, they must be seen as perfect and must put everyone else before their own needs. Oof, that hits. And in the end, they they wind up victimizing themselves. Instead of showing anger for their feeling manipulated or taking advantage of, many people-pleasers turn their anger and resentment inward at themselves. Huh. So this thing's reading me like a book. I'm not going to lie. It's a little strange. It's a little um, upsetting. Um, many who identify as being stuck in a pattern of seeking external validation also struggle with depression, fears of abandonment, and a fawning response. I don't know what that means. Which may include the use of flattery, being overly helpful or accommodating, and having a lack of personal boundaries. How people-pleasing behavior can affect a person. <clears throat> 
Over time, constant people-pleasing behavior negatively affects many areas of a person's life, including a deep sense of guilt and shame, <clears throat> negative impact on self-worth and self-esteem, questioning who they quote-unquote are outside of seeking approval from others, difficulty to manage relationships, tasks, or duties because of over-obligation, inability to make decisions on their own, developing a freeze trauma response, having their boundaries constantly overstepped, or an inability to create healthy boundaries. Stopping the pattern of people-pleasing. Stopping a pattern of seeking external validation can be challenging, often because it's deeply ingrained and because those who have histories of people-pleasing struggle with seeing their value and worth outside of others' opinions. Uh, personal experience, I think it's also difficult because it's hard to tell when you're keeping an eye on yourself versus when you're legitimately being an ass. Because sometimes you think, I'm not going to do this for that person because it's not something that is healthy for me. But then you just feel like you failed them, you know? Anyway, suggestions include increasing your sense of self-discovery and learning who you are outside of others. Recognize when you are uh, turning to others for advice, approval, or out of habit. Become more in tune with the motivations behind people-pleasing behavior, and whether it's based on a low sense of self-worth, of fear of rejection, or an inability to trust yourself in making healthy choices. Seek out a therapist who can support you in unpacking your needs and who can facilitate your empowering through self-discovery. All right, and again, this article was from Annie Tanasugarn, PhD, on the Psychology Today blog website. Um, really useful information. Really helpful. I think I've spoken my thoughts on that one um, at large. So I think we're going to... Uh, Move on to the next one, shall we? This is already a long um, <clears throat> podcast episode, so I'm considering stopping it here, but you know what? Let's continue. I'm very interested in this topic, and I, I, I know myself. I won't return to it afterward, so I mean, if you know, if I want to grow as a person, I'll come back to it, but you know what I'm saying. So what uh, the next article would be this one by Claire Wilcox, MD. Are people-pleasing and sociopathy opposite ends of the same spectrum? Sociopathy or sociopathy? I'm going to read a sociopathy. Their characteristics and neurobiology offer some compelling evidence. Most of us know people with sociopathic traits. Think about that neighbor who gets a rise out of taunting and bullying or that colleague that always seems to get all the credit at work and wiggles their way to the top while covertly shooting you down. The same is true for people-pleasers. Bring to mind that family member or friend who constantly seeks approval and always goes over the top to please others, often at the expense of his or her own needs or desires. Or desires. Could it be that these two personality profiles actually live on opposite ends of the same behavioral and biological continuum? Some definitions. First, let's start with some definitions to clear up some confusing and overlapping terms. Sociopathy. Sociopathy. Let me just actually look that up. Give me a second, please. I want to figure out if I'm pronouncing that properly.
sociopathy. Okay, sociopathy. So I was right the first time. Awesome. All right, sociopathy is another word used for antisocial personality disorder found in Psychiatry's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM, but more commonly used in the forensic arena and by the general public than, you know, the term antisocial personality disorder. Psychopathy is a related term, but it is most often used to describe people in criminal populations and is assessed for with the Hair Psychopathy Checklist Revised rather than the DSM. Many people with sociopathy also have psychopathy. Psychopathy. So I haven't really gotten into it necessarily yet. It's defining it still. But uh, I think I understand what it's referring to when it's saying that they live on opposite ends of the same spectrum. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to manipulate others into doing something for you. That thing being pleasing, you know, making you feel like you please them, making you feel good about yourself. So you're trying to manipulate others in the world around you for your own means, you know? All right, back to the article. High-functioning sociopathy is a useful colloquial term, colloquial, yeah, term, that refers to people who have psychopathic or psychopath, sociopathic or psychopathic traits, but who function well in society and sometimes excel. These people may be especially successful in business, politics, or media. They tend to have superior, intel superior intelligence and better impulse control than a typical person with ASPD antisocial personality disorder, which helps them succeed in work and social settings. The term people pleaser, also colloquial, is commonly used in the psychotherapy and self-help realms to describe people who seek approval and put the needs of others above their own. A tendency towards people pleasing often goes hand in hand with anxiety, depression, eating, and substance use disorders. It can make recovery from these disorders harder. Teaching people how to be assertive and set boundaries are often key components of established treatments. And then we get a breakdown of sociopathy slash psychopathy versus people-pleasing. Pooling characteristics from the DSM-5 Diagnostic Manual for ASPD and the PCLR, which is the psychopathy equivalent. Uh, here are some qualities commonly seen in people with sociopathy and psychopathy. So these traits, you know, to paraphrase, these traits that I'm about to list are common qualities seen in people, you know, being sociopaths or psychopaths. So... Failure to conform to social norms. Lying and manipulativeness for profit or pleasure. Irresponsible in work and finances. A lack of remorse or guilt. Maybe that's the difference right there, though. Overblown sense of self-esteem. Okay. Charming, callous, and lack of empathy. Tendency towards risks, risk-taking. Aggressiveness, impulsivity, and easily angered. <clears throat> Here are some qualities attributed to people-pleasers. Wants everyone to like them. Frequently apologizes. Craves validation. Uh, I'm saying it with an emphasis because I'm like, you know, disgusted at myself a little bit. Uh, feels guilty when they set boundaries. Fearful of and avoids conflict. Rule follower. Perfectionist. Puts their own feelings, needs, and opinions behind others has difficulty saying no, feels excessively responsible for how others feel. Ooh, that last one. These two lists can be more contrasting. Ironically, I, I, haven't, I don't really have a problem saying no to people. When I don't like something, I don't like something. But everything else, you know, fits. These two lists can be more contrasting. A sociopath puts their own happiness first, lives guilt-free, uses any means necessary to get what they want, 
eschews responsibility. I hope I pronounced that right. Eschews responsibility breaks rules if they can get away with it and feels little empathy. A people pleaser puts others' needs above their own, is often guilt-ridden, goes overboard to help others, avoids conflict, is excessively responsible, follows protocol, and worries about others' opinions and approval constantly. And that was the last of my water. Social heart... My bad. Social hierarchies and dopamine. In many animal species, mice, primates, there exist hierarchies of social dominance. The dominant animals more frequently engage in aggressive and impulsive behaviors and tend to get more food, access to preferred mates, and space when resources are scarce. When resources are scarce. Animals with a lower social ranking are most likely are more likely to be recipients of the dominant animal's aggression, aggressions and to engage in submissive behaviors like turning on their back and conflict avoidance through hiding. Could fi- high-functioning sociopaths be the human counterpart of these dominant animals? Maybe so. If you buy that possibility like I do, then the ensuing facts should pique your interest. <clears throat> so basically what it's saying right here is that uh, in the animal kingdom, uh, you know, he uses that as, as an example, mice and primates, there are hierarchy, hierarchies um, of social dominance, and the dominant animals tend to be the aggressive and impulsive uh, creatures, you know, specimens, and ultimately they tend to get the most food uh, the better mates and more space when they're in a tough situation and animals with a lower social ranking tend to be, you know, they tend to be on the receiving end of the animal's aggressions and they tend to have more submissive behaviors like turning on their backs and avoiding conflict. And it's basically saying, could high functioning sociopaths be the human equivalent to that behavior? And this, author seems to believe so. Studies show that the levels of a subtype of dopamine receptor in the brain, the type 2 dopamine receptor, DRD2, huh, all right, no comment on that, are higher in the brains of dominant animals. So there's a certain dopamine receptor that receives more dopamine in uh, dominant, dominant animals. Furthermore, experimental blockade of this receptor in dominant animals reduces social dominance behaviors and causes the animals to become behave more submissively. Not only that, but animals with low DRD2 levels will develop addictive behaviors more readily than those with normal levels. Very interesting. So kind of, so when they find ways to block this, uh, you know, social dominance, <laughs> this. Uh, type 2 dopamine receptor, um, the animals start behaving less dominantly, but they also seem to develop more addictive behaviors, which is very interesting to say about humanity, if you consider it that way. (laughs) Implying that, I mean, this is just my thoughts, but implying uh, on a very basic level that those of us who tend to more easily become addicted to things are people that fundamentally seek the most approval from others. That's at least my takeaway right now. Therefore, high activity at this receptor may confer a higher social ranking, whereas lower activity leads to lower ranking and a greater vulnerability to addiction. Imaging studies in humans show a similar pattern, although to my knowledge, the levels of DRD2 in sociopaths and people-pleasers have not been directly measured. There are other studies we can draw from. For example, one research group found that psychopaths have higher dopamine release than normal individuals, 
indicating a more robust dopamine system. Hmm. So yeah, psychopaths. Research has found that psychopaths have a higher dopamine release. By contrast, people with substance use disorders, obesity and anxiety disorders, disorders commonly seen with people-pleasing, <clears throat> all have lower levels of DRD2 in the brain. Pulled together, these studies would indicate that higher DRD2 function or dopamine release leads to aggression and dominant behavior, sociopath-like, whereas low levels confer an increased risk of vulnerability to aggression and mental health struggles, people-pleasing-like. So what I'm seeing is that if I get rid of a lot of my anxiety, I can basically be a gigachad. But since I have anxiety, I am not, nor can I be a gigachad. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Um, I'm almost at the end of this, so brain activation during decision-making and mental stress. Functional MRI studies allow scientists to image brain activation patterns while people perform cognitive and emotional tasks, specifically designed to elicit responses in key brain circuits and regions. Hmm. Let me just skim this real quick. Yeah, I'm going to read it. This is interesting to me. Numerous fMRI studies have been performed on people diagnosed with ASPD or with psychopathy and indicate abnormal functioning in brain regions involved in emotional and stress processing, moral decision-making, empathy generation, and conflict monitoring. During tasks designed to elicit activation in these circuits, sociopaths and psychopaths show reduced engagement of key brain regions, such as the amygdala, insula, medial, medial prefrontal cortex, and anterior cingulate cortex. By contrast, people on the people-pleasing end of the spectrum have heightened activation in many of these same brain areas. For example, greater activation in the insula and medial prefrontal cortex is observed in people with higher tendency to conform when confronted with beliefs that they disagree with. For them, disagreeing may have evoked more mental stress. <clears throat> okay. Okay. I'm getting it. So what it's saying is basically that uh, literally for people with um, on the people-pleasing end of the spectrum, literally disagreeing with people causes a lot more stress. The same pattern of elevated activation during stress, eliciting tasks, or during decision-making in the insula, amygdala, anterior, cingulate, cortex. I do not know every single one of these. I recognize some of them, like amygdala and uh, prefrontal cortex, but, you know, I'm not in this circle of thought in recent years. And medial prefrontal cortex is also seen in people with anxiety and substance use disorders. In summary, whereas people with psychopathy or sociopathy have blunted activation in key brain regions involved in emotional processing and moral decision-making, the brains of people with people-pleasing tendencies and associated mental health challenges have heightened activation. Huh. Very, very interesting. Conclusion, is there a causal link here between the dopamine system or brain activity in these key circuits in both psychopathy and sociopathy and people-pleasing? Can these data point to a biological and behavioral continuum 
where psychopathy, sociopathy, and people-pleasing lie on opposite ends. It's too soon to tell, but more studies can and should be done to establish whether these two clusters of traits might just be mere images of one another, and whether normal lies somewhere in the middle. So uh, the author of this article, again, Claire Wilcox, MD, is uh, very convincing to me, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it definitely seems so that sociopathy and people-pleasing personality behaviors <clears throat> and are the two extremes of the spectrum. And you're either somewhere in the middle or you're on one of the extremes. Most, you know, most people in the world are probably somewhere in the middle. None of us, definitely, none of us, I would like to believe, fall into the you know, obsessive psychopathic traits or the obsessive uh, people-pleaser traits. But, you know, it's a continuum, like everything else. But what it's saying, basically, at the end is that there isn't enough evidence to support this theory yet, but there is enough to warrant further research, which is something I definitely, definitely agree with. Um, there is one more article that I wanted to read, but realistically, um, this is video, this podcast has been long enough, and I am, uh, I'm pretty sure, audibly losing my energy <laughs> as this goes on. So I think I'm going to cut it short here for now, and we will save this final article for next time um, if I choose to come back to it. <clears throat> it is a very interesting one, though, so I think I do want to come back to it. But, um, you know, just for a tease, it's called uh, Attachment Style and People-Pleasing. Do you have a secure, avoidant, or anxious attachment style? Uh, interesting for me, just to add my personal two cents into it, like I've been doing the whole video. And like this podcast will probably uh, <clears throat> be full of. I think that for me, this whole people-pleasing behavior that we've been discussing, uh, it's dependent on who it is that I'm, you know, talking to or, you know, who the subject of this is. <clears throat> Personal experience, like there's certain people that I will be more avoidant towards in order to, you know, quote-unquote, please them. It's this, <clears throat> I don't know if this is exactly what it's trying to say, but for me, it's this whole idea that the best way to please them is to not bug them, to not bother them, to not be around them. That way, they cannot grow annoyed with me. And uh, there's some people that, unfortunately, I have had this behavior towards and behavior with. <clears throat> that That's something that I really work hard to do, to, uh, sorry, to avoid. And I guess it's something that I'm a little bit more aware of at this moment. And hopefully something I continue to carry with me. Become more aware of these things. And hopefully change that behavior. <clears throat> the other two types, the uh, secure or anxious. Uh, well, I think that there's definitely some people that I'm a lot more... I want to people please with them because I enjoy their company myself. And I don't want to lose them. And I don't want to think any less of me. So it's just this obsession with wanting to be acknowledged, I guess, in a way. I'm not sure about the secure one, but I think we'll have to get to that when we get there. And uh, please note that any of these uh, you know, introspective thoughts, they're not meant to, um, I guess, you know, irritate anybody or upset anybody. Oh, no, I'm doing the people-pleasing thing. But, uh, but I'm just saying that for the most part, 
I'm just letting my thoughts out. And that is the purpose of this podcast to me. And I think that this is a good therapy for myself. It'll be fun. And I think the best thing that I can try to do is just do the things that I'm loving and the things that I'm enjoying without regard to how it all turns out because we all live here on this earth for such a limited time and we don't know how long it'll last. And there's definitely people that I want to see. There's definitely people I want to talk to. And I shouldn't let, well, this, you know, hold me back. This fear of failure because we're going to fail a lot. That's part of it. So what I'm saying is that don't avoid people judging you. People will judge you. And people should judge you. Because that's your opportunity to overcome it and do things anyway. And be good at them anyway. Alright, I think we're coming to a close on this podcast. I think it's going to be close to an hour at this point. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of your time. And I appreciate all of the, um, you know, all of you guys that listen. So thank you guys. And uh, this is my podcast whose name I have forgotten because I haven't seen in a good while. But I think I called it We Do What We Want. That is a reference to, you know, my entire existence. Um, but yeah, if you have any thoughts, you know, let me know. Uh, I don't remember if I've established a way to communicate with me. Um, if there is not one, then we will figure that out eventually. But for now, thank you guys for listening. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your night, rest of your day, rest of your morning, whatever it is you're doing. But uh, have a great time. Thank you.